Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best iron fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, in particular St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion. Daiwa, we got your bass covered. We certainly do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast every week. It's available wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to check us out at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is produced by Brad Neerman from Berserk Productions down in Lando Lakes, Florida. Hey there, Brad. I hope all is going well with you, Miss Olivia, and young Maximus. Maximus Neerman, my new nephew. How cool is that? On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Dave's going to visit with uh, Jen Ripple. She is uh, one of the true fly fishing experts. I'm going to talk a number of fly items with Jen Ripple. And I'm going to talk to uh, Spencer Sheffield. He just won the Major League Fishing Tackle Warehouse title championship. $200,000. Yes, I did say $200,000. How cool is that? First, let me swing it over to Mr. Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on Dan Johnson. Here you go. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. We're uh, uh, going to talk about the rod length. That That's changed over the years. I mean, I, we've had some really short rods for different uses and really long ones, and uh, uh, it is an important topic, isn't it? Yeah, and it has changed. There's no question over the years, they've gotten, generally speaking, uh, longer, certainly on the bass side, crappie side, musky side, um, and I could go on and on. And and I think I think what we should do is explain to the listeners why that has happened. And I think that, that question why is always where the rubber hits the road. So, you know, the advantages of a short rod meaning the tip being closer to your hand is, and again, I'm going to talk in generalities here because there's always exceptions to the rule. Yep. But the tip closer to your hand, they're usually more accurate and sometimes they're lighter because there's just less of it. Um, in vertical jigging techniques or fishing straight down, assuming we're not in big waves or high-sided boats, you have great feel with them too. Now, the advantages to longer rods are multifold. They protect line amazingly well. They cast farther. Um, they fight fish really well. You can fish slack line really well when because you have more angle going down towards the water, and I call it angle of attack, which is very critical. Um, that's why you're punching rods, flipping rods, long crappie rods, things like that are longer. But I think one of the biggest reasons why people are using longer rods now, aside from all those things, is they pick up so much line on the hook set. You find you don't have to sweep the rod as farther back or with as much velocity. And it's just, they just pick up line fast. So that's obviously a big advantage, whether we're pitching it or casting it. 
or anything. So, you know, generally speaking, a, a lot of people have gone to longer rods for the advantages that I've, uh, I've named, but no question, there are still times where that shorter rod is an advantage. Yeah. How about the, uh, uh, how tall a person is. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, you got some, some people that are five foot six and you got some people that are, you know, six foot nine. What, um, is there an advantage or disadvantage or the right length rod for them? Does it, does that come into play? I think the taller person can wield a, uh, long rod and a short rod. I think a, a real, uh, a shorter person could absolutely wield a longer rod if they try it. But sometimes it's a mindset, it's cumbersome, you know, and so forth. But if you think about it, a taller person with longer arms is going to naturally get a longer sweep on a set, which could be advantageous regardless whether you're using a longer or shorter rod. Um, but I am a big advocate. I'm, I'm talking to anglers, period. I don't care if they're tall or shorter to try to push the limits a little bit on rod length, certainly for certain applications, because I don't care if you're five foot or seven foot. If you get bit with a frog in the back of the pads with a six foot rod, you've got a big problem because you're not going to pick up enough line with it. You're not going to have the leverage to get the fish out. That's just one example. I could give you 50, but I, I'm a big advocate of pushing the limits. I have sold a lot of rods to high school anglers I'm about six foot one that are a lot shorter than I am. And I'm selling longer rods because I know it'll give them an advantage. Yeah. Gives them, gives them the, uh, the upper hand on, on uh, landing that fish or getting it presented properly. A few years back, uh, the major, uh, bass tournaments allowed for longer rods. And, uh, did, did that, um, stick true to where people were using some of the very long rods, you know, eight sixes, nine footers, even 10 footers. Yeah, it's a, I'm really glad you brought that up. Specifically, what they did is they took it to 10 foot, specifically, because mm -hmm. St. Croix was all over it. We came out with a 911 and a couple of 86, a couple of 86 up to 911. And uh, I think that I would want to be pretty clear in explaining that there's a law of diminishing returns as well. I mean, we don't want a frogfish with a 14 foot rod. Mm -hmm. So, and I keep beating up on this frog thing, but it's a great example of the, having the right rod length. So I think that while BASS went to 10 foot legally, I think a lot of people understood that that was a lot of rod. I mean, you, you sit there and flip or punch with a 911 all day and you better be on them pretty good because that's a, that's a lot of work. It's holding a lot of rod out in front of you. And here's another thing about rods that are either certainly rods that are too long and certainly when you combine that with too much power or action, is it, and this is getting a little weedy, but it reduces your rod hook set sweep velocity. You can't physically get it going through the air quick enough. And if you listen to the guys and gals that fish at a professional level on television and you and there's audio and you listen to that hook set, you hear it swish through the air at a real high pitch. That's rod speed through the air. And it's hard to get that with a super, super long rod compared to something that's about seven to seven and a half foot. You can still get that really well. You can get it up to around eight foot. You get much longer than that. And while you're picking up a lot of line, which is great, it's hard to get that speed, that velocity through the blank, through the air on that hook set. Good explanation. On the um, the panfish rods, there's um, many different techniques you can do with that. And some of them are, are very tall and, and very long. What uh, maybe talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why that's the case, Dave. Part of it's forward-facing, you know, pitching to forward-facing fish with, you know, 12, 14-foot rods. That's one thing. Spider rings, another thing. Obviously, you want the rod out with a real parabolic bend to it, set up in a in a big system. Um, and you need, it's kind of, kind of like slow trolling, so you definitely don't want a short rod for that. But I think one of the biggest things a lot of crappie anglers have figured out, or bluegill anglers for this matter, again, it's that angle of attack. And I speak to this all the time with our eight foot and nine foot panfish rods. If you pitch that thing out underhand and you hold it up at a 45 and it's nine foot long, you have a steeper angle going into the water than you do with a seven foot rod. It's just physics. There's, there's no question about it because the tip's farther out away from your hand. Does couple things. We talk about crappies being an ascending feeder all the time. So if you pitch that thing out and it's nine foot long and you hold it at a 45 and let it swing back to you, it's swinging more horizontally longer than a seven footer will. A seven footer will start to drop down as it comes back at you sooner than a longer rod. And I'm telling you in crappie fishing, that is absolutely huge. Now you combine that with a real slow cadence of retrieve and you can keep it almost horizontal all the way back. Assuming you're using a light head with a relatively buoyant body and that longer tip, it'll flat out get you more bites. The one thing you don't want to do is go underneath a crappie. And when they're in two foot of water looking up, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, and I was envisioning what you were explaining, and it, it makes total sense thinking of where the tip of that rod is, where the line's entering the water, and, and that, that makes total sense. Uh, uh, we've gone longer on musky rods, too, and in, in many cases, I think that has helped some of the anglers, and so many of the hits are right at the boat with the figure eighting. I don't know if there's a better example um, on that because if they bite you way out on the end, that longer rod picks up line. It's a great lever. But if you get the bait at the boat and you want to do a figure eight, you can do two things now. You can go deeper with it if you want to, but you can also get it way out wider with the longer rod. And that's been unanimous. That's why these eight sixes are so popular. Um, you know, eight foot anymore. Um, granted, there are absolutely a lot of shorter than eight foot musky rods in the market and they still sell. And there's people that use them that are very successful, way more so than I would ever dream to be on the musky side. That said, if you talk to most of our very accomplished musky anglers on St. Croix side, they're in love with those eight, six, nine foot, you know, medium, heavy, heavy, throwing double tens. And, and it, it, it's just a very long, fluid motion on the cast. It throws farther. You get incredible control over the bait on the figure eight. And also when they bite it right at the boat, a lot of times they'll push the release and use their thumb as the drag and they're, they're locking it down hard. But that long rod is beautiful when something bites you close because you think about it, you're attached to something long. It's just harder to get off and throw the hooks. There's too much rod working against that fish in a good way to keep it pinned up. And I think people are really starting to figure that out. Yeah, the control that you have is good. And I've heard the Jim Sarek's of the world, the Joe Bookers and the Spence Petros all say they like the longer rods because they get the bait down deeper on the figure eight because sometimes that fish follows up and then goes down into that shadowy area and, and they seem to get more hookups because they're presenting the bait in the right spot. It's an indisputable fact. It's just a longer rod. Another indisputable fact is a lot longer, wider eight, or some people on a great big fish, at least to those that I've talked to, I haven't circled many big muskies in my life. I'd like to, but um, is, is it gets that a lot wider out away, you know, in a longer track of emotion because the rod's longer. It's an indisputable fact. You can't let line out and figure eight. You get the 
bait's got to be pretty close to your tip. So the longer that rod is, the wider that eight or wider that circle is. And on a big fish, from what I've always, I remember a friend of mine, Don Persh, he worked up in uh, Rowan Lake Lodge in Ontario for years, great muskie fisherman, worked with fish and all that. He told me the easiest way to lose a big muskie is to lose it on the turn. And they just, you lose them on the turn and they lose their interest. And these longer rods will keep a big fish tracked better, according to those that know, better than the shorter rods. So again, there's a lot of advantages. Muskie's just such a great example of why the market's going longer, but it's going longer on bass too, no question about it. Absolutely. And uh, always good information. We we got to briefly talk about this, but a great subject, and I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll cover it on other uh, techniques and the length of rods in the future. But uh, thanks again for being on the podcast, Dan. Hey, thanks for always having me today. Appreciate oh, no it. problem. You have a great day. That was Dan Johnson. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. One of my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, know, sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say that every guest I have on this segment has a passion for the outdoors. My next guest certainly does, and she is Jen Ripple, editor-in-chief of Dunn Magazine. Welcome back, Jen. Hey, thanks for having me. It's I'm glad to be here. Oh, no, glad, glad to have you on. We you know, we try to cover everything, musky fishing, bass fishing, uh, saltwater. We try to cover it all. And uh, you're so active in the, the fly fishing arena that, uh, you know, we haven't had an update uh, for you on the fly industry in quite a while. So uh, maybe uh, give us a little uh, heads up as to what's going on there. 
Wow, you know, well, the pandemic, uh, you know, everybody has that front and center still. Um, it was really great for Fly. Uh, we haven't talked since then. And, you know, um, uh, we found that people entered the sport through, you know, entered fishing through Fly more than usual. Really interesting, right? So I think that's because you see Fly in a lot more. You know, you pull up, uh, uh, you pull up a, a YouTube or something and Fly Fishing comes up there. Or you see just a regular, like, F. Echo or something commercial and there's fly there and, and it's been interesting to like see in mainstream media more more people casting a fly rod in the back while they talk about the new truck coming out or something like that and so I think that you know maybe those kind of things and social media have been really good for fly and you know obviously seeing more diversity seeing more women and you know when people see themselves out there doing it someone like them in the in the outdoor space that's be it fly fishing or fishing or hunting or, you know, shooting sports or whatever, they feel like they maybe can step into that space as well. And I feel like that's what's really happened in the fly world. So as we see fly go more mainstream, it just makes sense that fly has been growing by leaps and bounds. And, you know, there are a lot of really great um, organizations out there that are helping grow as well. You know, not just done. Of course, done is front and center, um, especially in my world as the editor-in-chief of that fly magazine but you know things like um united women on the fly that just came out with like what i think is one of the most comprehensive basic um techniques for fly um instruction manuals that's ever been written and so you know not only is that going mainstream with just outside of just the female population in fly it's growing the number of people who step into the sport and giving them those basics that you know a lot of times we don't see um come out because especially like in magazines and the editorial world yeah there are some basics but most of the people that write about fly tend to be experts in their field already and we can tend to forget the basics that we learned when we were first getting into the sport so super important stuff so i mean you know we have just continued to see fly grow over and over and over every year year upon year um over the past two three years for sure um and you know growing astronomically since i did the magazine in 2013 so Craziness, absolutely, and 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 I think all of the outdoor industry had flourished during uh, COVID because it was outside and it was people getting back to uh, families and everything, biking, fishing, uh, you know, all types of fishing. I, I think grew. Did you? Uh, are you seeing that you held a pretty good percentage of the new people that came in? Uh, so, you know, there's always that attrition rate, right? Yep. So we see people come into the sport and then we see people leave. And I think that, you know, if you look at the numbers, we did lose people since the pandemic has been over, especially over the last year, as people go back to their, their jobs, to their families, mm -hmm. to going outside of the house. But... Um, at least in the female fly fishing population, we have seen more people stay in the sport than over than in the past. And I think that's an important note because as women get involved in the sport, right, and they stay in, then they bring their kids into the sport as well. And that's just, you know, in future generations, if you take care of the kids, you don't have to worry about the next generation, right? Because we make them lovers of the outdoors and they grow up that way. They grow up in the river, they grow up on the boat and they grow up in nature they want to take care of that and and you know it's always that catch 20 i mean that um that snowball effect where you know you get people involved and they they 
go to the river, they fall in love with fishing, and then they want to protect the water. And so protecting the water then makes better fishing, and then more people can get involved. And, you know, it's just, you know, what we've wanted to see happen for so long. And, you know, as as much as the pandemic did detrimental things for us and changed us in a lot of ways, it's also been very beneficial for those of us who love the outdoors. And, you know, we know that unless people get outside, they're not going to want to protect those public lands that we have. And so, you know, always, always a good thing to see more people going out there, more people getting in, falling in love with the outdoors and then wanting to protect that as well. Yeah, they, I think the biggest conservationists in the world are the people that fish and hunt and actually use the, uh, uh, the, the, the outdoors as a source of recreation, whether they hike or bike or paddle or, or fish or hunt or whatever they do, but they definitely are protective of it. And they're willing to pay for it, not only, not only talk about it to preserve it, but they, they definitely uh, do put their money where their mouth is and, and fund this, and, and that's good. We, we see this. We just uh, had ICAST in, in the summer here in July. Uh, boy, it's already uh, over a month ago, it seems, but it, it, the summer's flying by. But a um, lot, of, lot of things get uh, visibility there. In the fly world, of course, there was a, a fly reel that uh, uh, won uh, the, the Hardy uh, Fortuna uh, region fly reel. And, and uh, how does that impact uh, when people see that something wins like that and it's, it's, it's high profile? Does that help or just create awareness? What does that do? Oh, absolutely. It helps. You know, and it's funny that, you know, so um, proud of the fact that the Hardy Fly Reel won for sure, because it's a, it's a beautiful saltwater reel. I mean, that reel, it, you know, I saw it in person and it picks up 14 and a half inches of fly line per rotation, the smallest mm -hmm. rendition of it does. And the largest rendition picks up 16 inches. So if you think about fighting a big saltwater um, game species and you want, you know, you can power down on it, but then you can actually like crank up to get that fish up faster. I mean, it's just good all around. It is a beautiful looking fly reel, but you know, what's interesting about ICAST and specifically the fly reel category this year was it was fly reel and accessories. So, which included like the Sims waiters and all that kind of stuff. So technically, I guess they Fly reel, one in the waiter category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there were so many categories. And as media and a buyer uh, in the retail world, I, I get to vote. And I always uh, look forward to seeing what everybody else votes for compared to what uh, I'm looking at. But I, I'm also in the Midwest. I'm in uh, northern Illinois. So it, it's hard to... I don't have the knowledge for voting on the saltwater products, just like the saltwater guys may not have on the inland products. But but you look at things and you think, boy, that's innovative or that makes sense to me. And and you you vote a little different, but it still gets done. And um, overall, what was your opinion of the overall ICAST show? Oh, my gosh. I thought it was really a great vibe. You know, there were so many people there. It was really like being in one of the pre-pandemic shows. I mean, super fun. Everybody was super positive. There were more products in the new product showcase than I have ever seen um, in the past, which was exciting because that means that our that our um, our industry continues to grow, right? Because if, if there's no one making new products, then, you know, we kind of tend to feel like, well, maybe we're not growing the way that 
we should because our manufacturers are the ones and our innovators are the ones that you know are putting their money into this sport and they wouldn't do it if it if they didn't think it had a chance of surviving and so it's always exciting for me to see walk into the new product showcase and just see so many new products i mean everything from saltwater you know new saltwater baits to you know fly rods and reels from categories that you'd never expect and i mean there was even in the in the saltwater category there was even a blue ugly stick inshore carbon rod so i was like ugly stick that's not black and red wow that's pretty cool (laughs) something for the saltwater yeah no the whole iCast experience is always good and it's um it always as big as that convention center is and as many people that are there but somehow it always seems like it's um it's not that big of an industry, really. There aren't that many players for how many there are because we all seem to know each other, especially if you've been in the industry for, you know, a decade or more. Yeah, it's true. Just, yeah, just like, a, just like a family and uh, definitely uh, appreciate it. Any, any uh, new things coming up for the magazine or in, in Fly that uh, you're excited about? Yeah, so uh, the magazine is changing. Um, it's an ever-evolving progress, uh, process, and so... Um, we are continuing strong in the women's uh, fly world, but we are also expanding into the women's conventional market and then women's upland hunting. So um, Dunn will expand into a bigger, broader audience that reaches more outdoor women, as well as continuing on in the fly space, which is, of course, my first love and my first passion. Yeah, and that's interesting because a lot of people, I think, uh, do cross over into other uh, sports as they get to become uh, familiar and comfortable with the outdoors, um, the shooting sports, the, the hunting, the fishing, the paddling. All of a sudden, it's like, boy, I can I can experience this in another way, and and it's still going to be fun. Agreed. Yep. No, there's a lot of, lot of good things going on, and and glad to hear that. Uh, you know, the fly world is retaining. I, I think the ASA puts out some numbers and Recreational Boating Fishing Foundation put out some numbers also that are similar to where we still have that leaky bucket. We're losing some, but we're gaining more. But it's hard when everything in the world is open again, and especially the kids and the families go back to soccer and baseball and football and everything else they were doing before where we got them. But but I think they're they're adding that into the mix and I think we're going to um, open some eyes of uh, the younger generations that maybe they're not going to forget it because they got to experience it at all. And I, I think that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see the continued growth. But, you know, Jen, we, we'll have to have you on sooner than we have since the last time. I always appreciate an update on the fly fishing industry. And definitely uh, thank you for being on the We Fish ASA podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no problem. That was Jen Ripple. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait-and-tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit 
and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I am Steve Surly. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. Please remember that We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org and if you're an industry professional please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org Very fortunate to have with us today a guy I like a lot he's an excellent pro one of the most consistent guys out there and uh, he really uh, pushed the envelope and broke out with a huge victory at the Major League Fishing Tackle Warehouse title championship uh have a lot of guys on and we throw around the the, the word hundred thousand an awful lot hey one hundred thousand one hundred thousand well, th this is amazing because this title championship paid two hundred thousand dollars i wanted to introduce you to a gentleman who's walking around with a big check in his pocket he is spencer sheffield hey spencer welcome thank you thanks for having me on you know when 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 you think about it did you ever think they'd be handing you a check for two hundred grand for catching fish in 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 a, in a weekend? No, I mean I've always dreamed about doing that. You know, uh, it's it's I don't know. I feel it's a weird feeling. I was telling a buddy yesterday on the way home. I was talking to. Uh, I knew I was going to win one day. You know, everybody tells you, "Oh, you're going to win. You're going to win." But you you get to to the point where you kind of start believing that there's always something going to happen on the final day to keep you from winning. You're going to keep finishing second or third or fourth. And uh, all I was wanting to do, you know, I wasn't greedy. I just wanted to win a tour event. So <laughs> I had prepared myself to win a tour event first, just a regular $100,000, which, I mean, is is uh, no sharp stick in the eye by any means. You know, $100,000 is awesome. But I was just wanting to win a tour event just to, to get that first win in my under my belt. But to the first one be a major championship, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't really know. My emotions are kind of really mixed on it because I was more prepared to my first win just to be a, a regular season event, not an actual championship to be my first one. So it's kind of not – hit yet i guess I, I just i don't know it's it's really weird it's a weird feeling because i i understand that i finally won but it's so hard to imagine that my first one was 
a championship. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's a really weird feeling. Hey, you know, maybe you ought to give back the trophy and the check and say, hey, no, you guys take this back. I'm going to do it the right way now. <laughs> there you go. Oh, my yeah. goodness. My goodness, I can't. I, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something. To be to be totally honest with you, there's there's so much to talk about. If you had asked me before this, name somebody. Uh, name somebody that everybody knows who uh, has not won a, uh, a a championship at a major event yet. I would not have come up with your name. If somebody would have said, well, what about Spencer Sheffield? I'd say, oh, no, 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 he, he's, he's won before. Uh, let, let's keep talking. Uh, I, I know Spencer has won. Oh, oh really, where did Spencer win? I, well, I, I'm not sure, but I know he has won one. Uh, do you get a lot of that? Do you get people saying, how could you have not won? You've been doing this for a while. You've done so well. Are, are they as surprised as I am that this is your first win? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've been so close so many times. Uh, my first year as a pro in 2013, I finished second behind Brent Long at Table Rock. Only lost by seven ounces. Uh, you know, Champlain, I, I basically had the winning fish. All I had to do was make it back to weigh in. My motor fell off my boat, and I wasn't able to make it back my first year. Uh, St. Clair, the one Nixon won, I was like three ounces back from first going into the last day and just had just an awful day. Jumped off several really big ones, and uh, the wind blew extremely hard. And I just look back at a lot of stuff, and there's a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas, you know. It's just uh, it never worked out. It never lined out. Uh, John Cox last year catching that that big one on the on his last cast uh, edged me out at Smith Lake, uh, you know, it's just there's a lot of different tournaments you know if somebody would have gave if somebody could give me three pounds just three pounds and let me strategically place it <laughs> throughout my my eight years fishing professionally i would have probably seven wins under my belt up to uh, this point oh my uh, that that's uh that's amazing that is absolutely amazing to think about and, and you know what you, you you look at that three three pounds uh, you can split that up and, and do uh, quarter pounds. That's 12 quarter pounds. That, that, that's unbelievable how much of an impact that would have on your totals across the board, especially considering the fact that you're an angler of the year threat every season that opens up. Uh, everybody knows you're going to be scoring a lot of top 10s, and, and, and if you can score a top 10, you're so just a hair away from winning, winning the big check. Yeah, and that's the deal. I mean, it's it's kind of, I guess, like playing a lottery almost, I guess. You buy enough tickets, you're eventually going to win. But it's in fishing, if you make enough top tens, you're eventually going to win. And so that's the deal. I mean, getting to that final day when there's only nine other guys to beat, at some point, one of them days is going to be your day. You know, I mean, you're out there consistently beating 150 other guys in a course of a week. At some point, you're going to beat just nine, and uh, that's just what happened last uh, last Sunday. I mean, I just happened to beat the other nine guys that was out there in that day, and uh, it worked out. and And it couldn't have worked out at a better time on in a tournament of that magnitude, you know. And 
Couldn't be more thankful, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure is, it, it, it is. And amazingly, reading up on you a little bit, you know, scanning around the Internet, I find that the, one of the most uh, uh, often seen terms when you type in Spencer Sheffield, you are described as the snake-bitten Spencer Sheffield. I, I, man, thank God you got you, you don't have to worry about carrying that name around with you anymore. The snake-bitten Spencer Sheffield. How 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 uh, frustrating is that to see your name mentioned in that regard? And and I, you kind of broke up on. Oh, that. I, I said, how, how frustrating is it to to be uh, uh, to be called the the snake bitten Spencer Sheffield? That's got to be really oh, aggravating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is, but you know, it's my story to write, and uh, <laughs> it's one of them deals. Like I, I know I, I have a plan in my mind and a and a drive to get it to where I want it. And, uh, you know, some, I'm one of them guys that seems like I'm, I kind of start out slow on anything and uh, I'm not, I'm not the fastest horse out of the gate. It's not where you start. It's where you finish kind of a deal. And, uh, I know what, what I want to accomplish in my career and out here, uh, doing this. And I, I would, I want to be one of them guys that can look back. People look back on say, man, he fished professionally for 35 years, yeah. you know, uh, and, and look at all the accomplishments he had, and, and it was in the last 20, not the first 10, you know. Uh, that's, the, that's the deal, and I feel like we finally have turned the pages, and we're, we're writing it in the direction that we want to go now. Uh, it was one of them deals. All, every tournament, every finish leading up to this point was so important, so crucial, uh, just such a huge part of what got me to where I'm at now. And uh, I couldn't be thankful for all the seconds and the thirds and the fours more than I am. I'm, I'm just as thankful for for them as I am this first place finish because they're they're what makes them first so special. Well, congrats, you know? congratulations! Uh, amazingly, you you told us you, you you were a rookie in 2013. That was only nine years ago. Uh, except you don't have a nine-year career because uh, unlike anybody else I know of, due to uh, personal reasons personal problems you went through a you went through a, a really rough divorce you stopped fishing for four years so out of that nine year stretch four of them were spent sitting at home on on, on the dock didn't get didn't enter any of these uh any of these tournaments that you were doing so well in and now you turn it around your your back you don't have the problems you had before and, and things seem to be going real well um you are married again I am. I've been married now. We're about to have our uh, fifth wedding anniversary, September seventeenth. Oh man! And, oh man! Uh, you're one of you're yeah. one of those husbands that make the rest of us look bad, spitting out that date, <laughs> spitting out that date like that. I'm proud of you, God. That's well, good. Well, I got married. We got married on a birthday. That way, it'd be pretty hard to forget. Uh no. Uh, that that mean that means if you forget, you're in double trouble, man. You're done. Yeah, for sure. Well, the bad thing about it is I'm never home, so I'm always <laughs> gone. It seems like September 17th is the date for all the final tournaments of the year somewhere on the Toyota Series or something. This year I'll be in New York again uh, on it. But anyways, it, it uh, you know, 
it, it, it is, it's one of them things where I went through all of that, and uh, I was just a kid, really, you know, I was, I believe, 23 was my last year on the pro circuit, I, I was 23 years old, uh, so I made a lot of mistakes out there, made some enemies, uh, you know, you, back then, you're just young and dumb, and you, you make uh, comments and statements you shouldn't win. Just keep your mouth shut whether you agree with it or not, you know. And things were changing at that point with uh, FLW and MLF. And there was just a lot of stuff. And, and uh, But just I made a lot of mistakes on the water. I was still in that learning process. Even though I had done it as a coinger for six years, I was still in the learning process of learning myself on the water. Uh, finding the stuff that I was confident in, line, rods, reels, all of that. And in that process of that four years I was gone, uh, the first two years of it, I got, you know, I wasn't a very depressed place and didn't fish a whole lot at all. I probably didn't fish probably 10 times in two years. But that last two years, I mean, it was, it was full time, full force all the way back. And I built myself back stronger and better than I ever was and uh, had some really strong support behind me. just from friends and, and older gentlemen that I had knew over life and, and through life that allowed me to follow their folks uh, and just just so much support and uh, I just it, it really made me such a better angler such a better person uh, to see the people knew your potential even though you didn't have hardly a dollar to your name to yeah. do anything knowing that there was people that believed in you so much that they would put a lot of their stuff on the line for you, for you to get back and do what you needed to do. I mean, I didn't do it all on my own. No, no, you know, by any means, uh, maybe financially I did, but <laughs> as far as like the folks I got to borrow and, and the people that helped support me to get me back out there as far as mentally and, and emotionally with words and, and, you know, just, uh, a lot of that stuff, it just all played such a big part on me getting back to this point. I couldn't have done it without any of it. Well, ac- excellent. We're going to take a real quick break here. I'd like to let our sponsors have a word. and we come back, we'll talk to you about your sponsors that help you out. We'll talk about this huge win up in New York and the MLF Tackle Warehouse Title Championship. We're here with Spencer Sheffield. I'm Steve Sarley. We will be right back. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I had completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system 
Designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. I'm here with Spencer Sheffield. Hey, Spencer, welcome back. It is good to have you. It's good to be able to talk to you and celebrate your huge win. MLF Tackle Warehouse Title Championship, $200,000. Is that, uh, it almost seems unfair that you won double what the guy that won stage one or stage two won. I'm sure you're not complaining about it, but this is set up in a very unique manner, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we, we, we fought so hard to get to that championship. That's the biggest tournament of the year. So, uh, I mean, you know, if you're going to win one, that's the one to win, no doubt. Yeah, for for sure. Hey, I got a couple things. You, you had said uh, we had talked uh, before we went on the air, and you said something about the we flew back yesterday, and it kind of made me look up and shake my head. Go, flew back. Uh, what 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 is the deal with flying? You're not pulling a boat all around the country. Well, I am. Uh, uh, I haven't had my boat, my truck back at my house since May. We uh, we left to go to the when I left to go to the James. I've left it ever since. Uh, I I went to the James and fished it. And then I went straight from the James to the Potomac River and fished the Toyota Series. Yeah. Uh, that was the first of the Northern Division. And uh, then I I haven't fished any of the Toyota Series really this year. I just fished the one at Lake Ozarks, north of me here, about four and a half hours because I never fished it in the wintertime and just wanted to get on it and fish it, say, I had in the winter. So I wanted to fish the, the championship on Guntersville, the Toyota Series Championship in November, so I figured I'd better fish the Northern Series, and it lined out for my schedule really okay. well because they, they were all right up there together, uh, like a week apart and only a couple hours driving apart. So I uh, left Potomac River Toyota Series and went to Champlain and pre-fished for about four or five days. <clears throat> left my truck up there at a buddy's house. Uh, one of the guys that actually works for MLF uh, does photography. He lives up there pretty close to us. So uh, left my stuff at his house, and I flew back from Albany. And I've just been flying back and forth to Albany because all my stuff's huh. right there. And uh, flew up, fished the Champlain Tour event, then fished the Champlain Toyota Series, then went to Messina and fished the championship, left my stuff there. Flew back home yesterday, and I fly back up on the 15th of September to fish the Toyota Series uh, last Toyota Series Northern Tournament on St. Lawrence River. I believe, yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, it is. It is quite a hot area. When I when you said flying, I remember talking to uh, uh, Ish Monroe, and he, he he said, "Yeah, I got I got people that that uh, I fly from one place to the other. I got people that move my move my rig." And I said, "Oh man, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Not a lot of guys do that." When you said you were flying, I go, "Man, oh man, one check, and he's already got people. Look at this." Uh, no, no. I'm, I'm 26 hours from uh, from Messina to my house. It's 26 hours driving. I did the math on it. It's going to cost me about $1,900 in fuel to drive <laughs> home and drive back. 
So I got a plane ticket for $438 round trip. So to me, mathematically, it was just a lot, lot cheaper. I could have flew back home four times on what it would have cost me to drive. So that's why I decided to fly. Uh, and it's just a lot easier on my equipment. I, I'm not wearing my tires out on my boat trailer or my truck as much. And, uh, you know, so it's one of them things. I just, it just made more sense to fly, but I would like to get to a point where I could have somebody driving stuff back and forth to me. That would be pretty cool, but I just don't know if I'd trust anybody else with my boat. Yeah. You know something? I, I, I figured you were going to say that cause it's, uh, uh, very rare that people will entrust their major expenditure, their biggest piece of equipment to the hands of somebody else, even to the point where I've, you know, I quit asking people, you ever have anybody help you rig your rides up uh, before a tournament or whatever? And, and you think I ask them a question, just the most insulting thing. N nobody professional would let anybody put their hands on their rod or reel or, or, or work with that stuff, right? No, not at all. I mean, you never know. I mean, I, I'm such a uh, particular person with my tackle. I mean, my real handle's got to be turned a certain way before I'm done with it. I mean, if that make, I mean, it's just that, that I'm that way. Uh, when it, when it's not your career, your life, everything you've worked so hard for on the line, you're not going to take note and. You're not going to notice stuff as much as, as that person that actually has all that on the line. I mean, if I felt just one little nick on my line after I've just went through changing my leader or retying or whatever, I'm going to cut off and redo it again. Somebody else be like, oh, that'd be fine. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, I mean, I check everything and make sure it's absolutely perfect before I throw that bait out there and uh, get a fish on the other end. Uh, because that's what it all comes down to at the end of the day. I mean, one lost fish, just one lost fish could cost you $200,000 in a year. Oh, uh, man. I can't, I cannot depend on somebody else to do that for me. Uh, I, I understand. If I lose one, I got to know it's all my fault, not maybe because Joe tied my leader wrong. <laughs> I, I understand what I understand what you're saying, but you you are uh, eliminating an out. You know, you, you you can't blame it on somebody else. Which uh, a lot of times people are looking for somebody to blame, blame, blame it on the yep. equipment, blame it on something. But no, you're stepping up and you're taking all the blame on your shoulders, just like you're going to take all the credit. It's it's your operation, and uh, you're going to stand by it. Yeah, I I do put a lot of blame on myself. Uh, when it when something goes wrong, I mean it's definitely nobody else's fault but mine. Uh, I can't take all the credit though because I mean there's so many people behind me that support me and motivate me to keep me going and and doing as well as I do, you know. But uh, it's just it, it does it feels good. I mean especially when you win a tournament like I've won, it's uh, I feel like I've won it for a lot of us. It's not just me, you know, or or my family. It's just for a lot of different people that it inspires and ones that know my story and how hard I've worked to get back. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's a lot bigger than just the trophy and the $200,000. No. And, and uh, your story is unique in the fact that there is also the legacy factor. Uh, we've spoken before. You're the son of Ron Shuffield, longtime uh, professional fisherman in, in the world of bass, uh, a successful, very, very highly visible fisherman. So, that's another layer to add on to this. Uh, what, what, what would he think about a $200,000 prize? 
Yeah, he's uh, he's very pumped about it. You know, he was never able to win a championship. He uh, he always fished the classics. I think he fished sixteen or seventeen of them in his career. Never won one. Had the fish on, so have won four or five of them. Uh, I'm, tons of guys probably have. I mean, you know how. They yeah, yeah, fishing. sure. And uh, but never did. And so it feels good to get that championship win, you know. Uh, my dad fished the Cups and he fished the Classic. So either either side, it didn't matter. He, he just wanted a championship win, win on the Sheffield name. And uh, I was, I'm just glad I was able to get that done for sure uh, for him, no doubt. Excellent. You know, a lot, a lot of guys uh, have little clicks in fishing and uh they hang out on the road as much as they can, or they may room together. Uh, but they'll 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 pre-fish and plan things out a little bit. Who who are your friends on the tour? You would be most close closely uh, affiliated with. Who who are you hanging with? Who will you talk fishing with while you're on the road? Well, I don't have many people I talk to as far as when it comes to tactics and techniques. Yeah, uh, I've been burned. Oh, uh, several times there. I have basically only one guy that I will share anything with, uh, and that's this year, Mitch Crane is who I share most of my stuff with. Now, as far as friends out on the tour, got a lot of buddies that, I mean, we talked to about, oh, it's going to probably take this this week, or the fishing's excellent, or the fishing's great, uh, things like that, but getting in depth with, uh, I don't. I stayed with Evan Barnes a lot. We stay together, uh, you know, especially if my wife's not with me or something. We usually get a room together. Uh, but I consider myself good buddies with, like, Dakota Ebear. Uh, I like him a whole lot. He's a really good guy. Braxton Setzer, uh, Mitch Crane, of course, Evan. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Mitchell, I like him. Matt Becker, I mean, Joey Sifuentes, those are the guys I kind of talk to when I, when, if I chat to anybody, you know, about, hey man, how's it going this week? Or did you, yeah, are you yeah. catching them pretty good? Those guys, you know. All right, that's that sounds good. That's that's that sounds uh, very 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 good. I, interesting. It's, it's very interesting, and you know what? I, I if uh, if you do talk tactics or whatever, and you win. You got to be. Somebody's going to say, "Well, he won because I told him this or whatever." You know, they want to they want to uh, sneak in and get some credit for your win. They'll never say they gave you bad info, or uh, man, I told him this and screwed him up. So, so why even bother getting in a position where uh, it's it's not you? you? You're taking it all on yourself. You're holding it up yourself, and uh, I think that's something to be proud of. Yeah, I mean, I just don't want to have to depend on somebody else's help or uh, feel like I told somebody something uh, that that it kept me maybe potentially from catching a, a couple key fish in the course of a tournament uh, because they were on a spot. I mean, what I re- what I've ran into once before, what really got me away from it is the guy I was sharing information with. He would have never done it intentionally, but. He wasn't catching anything at all. Yeah. Told him how what was going on, how to catch him. And in the course of the tournament, I went to go to one of my best spots, and he had just happened to find it huh. uh, because he was running the pattern. I told him to run, and I was in trouble on that day. I needed a couple fish bad, 
And that was a spot I knew I could go to and catch them. I'd save them till the end of the day and roll over there to catch them off of it. And he had already whacked 19 and a half pounds off that plate. Oh, man. It was just such a gut crusher uh, because I looked back and I'm like, had I never told him that they were eating this, he would have never been looking for this type of stuff. And I mm. could have for sure pulled up here and caught him. And ultimately, uh, that cost me a lot. Uh, that that one tournament where that happened in. But so since then, I've just really kind of kept stuff to myself. Uh, Mitch, I, you know, he knows the whole story, too. And, and it's one of them deals like we don't talk areas or nearly or anything. We might talk depths. We might say we're catching something on this or that. But Mitch is one of them guys that he catches them really well. Everywhere we go most of the time, he's one of them guys that hasn't won yet, but he's going to. But just a good dude, uh, you know. And so it's uh, I just he shares a lot with me. Uh, very trustworthy guy, you know. And so. I just like him a lot, and I, I'll share a little bit with him. But other than that, we still don't get deep into detail. Cool, anything. cool. Good story. Man, I, I, I used up all of your time asking too many questions. Uh, other things I wanted to ask, I owe you, man. I want to talk to you about your sponsors, give them a little credit. I guess we'll have to put it on the back burner and do it again and talk after your next win, which I got a funny feeling is not going to be too far away from right now. Yeah, I hope not. I look forward to getting on BPT next year. That's that's my deal, my format. I love that. As many as you can catch counts. Uh, that's, I feel like, my specialty. And so hopefully I get out there and win one real quick next year and we can do this again. Hey, man, Spencer Shuffield, you are great. Uh, give great answers to, to my questions. No matter how bad the questions are, you come up with a good answer, and I appreciate that. Best of luck to you. Go out, win another one. I look forward to talking to you again. Spencer Shuffield, thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, excellent. Spencer Shuffield, good guy, good fisherman, big check in his pocket. How cool is that? Spencer Shuffield. That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guests, Dan Johnston from St. Croix, Jen Ripple. Uh, number of enterprises Jen is with, but it's always a pleasure to talk to her. She is just absolutely great. And then Spencer Sheffield, the only guy I know that uh, took a four-year retirement at the beginning of his career. He took uh, four of his first nine years off, but he's back with a passion. Won the Major League Fishing Tackle Warehouse title championship. Big trophy, big check. How cool is that? I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We got your bass covered. Yes, we do. Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out our website, wefishasa.com. We'll take your mail there. We answer everything, so... Have at it. Fire away. Don't be shy. Contact us through wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone we should have on the show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm
professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.